This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking about all this new mobility that's going on, but specifically micro-mobility. And for all you out there who don't know what that means, it's all those electric scooters that are running around in so many cities these days. And joining me for the, today's discussion are Annie Chang. She's with SAE International, where she's the head of new mobility. Also, Mark Delaverne, he's the chief of mobility innovation for the mayor's office, and that's the Mayor Mike Duggan of the city of Detroit. And I want to thank the both of you for coming in here today to talk about this. Why are these scooters so popular? Annie, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think that scooters have um, really unleashed this delight factor in travel that um, a lot of modes haven't really tapped. Um, we have finally um, brought fun um, to actually getting from point A to point B. And, um, you know, it's for those short trips that, um, you know, you either used to walk or you may have even hopped into a car, but you have a scooter that is readily available for you to conveniently hop on and hop off. And that convenience and that delight uh, married together is the beauty of micromobility. Yeah, Mark, why do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has the same goal. You know, people want to get where they need to go as quickly as possible and as affordably as possible, right? And scooters provided that, you know, people would just walk out, they'd see a scooter in front of them, figure out how to download the app and get it. Um, but I think also, you know, as, as Anne's point, like it did bring joy to getting around, um, particularly for people sort of taking those first and, and second tries, just of trying something just so different um, that it sort of got a lot of people's interest. It's what, the wind in your hair and, you know, the, the ease of moving around, that's what it really is all about? I think you kind of turn into this super pedestrian, right? And um, you don't have to put too much physical activity, um, so it's okay in really warm weathers, and it kind of reminds you of uh, your childhood. So it's that um, tapping into that reminiscent, um, uh, I guess, almost daydreaming while you're traveling. How did this all start? I mean, it just seems to me one day there were scooters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind can, of... Can you trace it to any one company or any one city? or how, how So did Bird, it... right, was first in on it um, in Santa Monica. Um, it was the, um, their CEO is ex-Uber and just sort of had this idea of like, here's a affordable piece of equipment I can get out there, get people to use, doesn't take up a lot of space and, uh, and try it out. Um, and Santa Monica is probably a pretty good test market to, to start us out from a climate standpoint, from a density standpoint. Um, and then VC started to get into it and that's where it just kind of exploded after that. Mm -hmm. Annie, how do you, 
uh, how did you see this whole thing develop? Yeah, it did start with Bird, and um, I believe he, the founder, um, he saw his kids enjoying scooters, and he thought to himself, what about adults? Would they also enjoy a motorized version? So that's how it started, and he actually literally bought um, stocks off of Alibaba. Um, so they were not really meant for, um, you know, use in a shared fleet, and now they're getting into R&D and really making them more robust. But it really started off as almost a, hey, would adults also enjoy what we used to enjoy as a child and um, get our transportation uh, need met through this? And um, as he mentioned, the VC started backing it up and other companies joined the bandwagon, and here we are with the micromobility boom. Yeah. Mark, you mentioned the VCs, the venture capitalist yep. crowd started getting in, putting real money into it. Is that how it just seemed to get across the country and no? Yeah, time? I mean, because I mean, they were just sort of in a like hyper growth stage. Um, you know, it's it slowed down a bit now. Sort of, they're all looking for profit. But you know, we so like it started like October, like fallish of 2017 is when they launched in Santa Monica, um, and. You know, I, I had you sort of looked at it, and I was like, "This is not coming to Detroit this spring, right?" Like, they're gonna. There's lots of other very large markets, you know, that they will they will go to first. Um, and then I got a call from one of my friends who works at one of their, you know, Lime, uh, in like January, and he's like, "Yeah, we're Detroit's on a roadmap." And I was just like, "Man, this is uh, this is happening super fast." So um, it, it puts cities in a real reactionary mode, right? Because this is not something that uh, anyone was planning for. Um, anyone sort of planning on like, how do we handle this? Where do they go? Um, so it was a big, big disruption for cities themselves um, to, you know, cause say planners like to think, right? And really sort of like take their time and really kind of weigh all these things out where this was something was like, you know, these things are getting dropped on your streets and your sidewalks immediately. Um, how do we handle them? Mm. Yeah, Annie, that, they just seem to show up one day and, and things getting dumped around. Uh, why did they, these companies think that they could just do that? I guess because they could? <laughs> um, I don't think there were any um, clear regulation um, in terms of what the scooters actually meant where they fit in. Um, are you supposed to ride them on the sidewalk or a bike lane or on the road, uh, you know, the drive lane with cars? It's very unclear, um, let alone, um, you know, how you're supposed to be operating them in a city. So I think their approach was, you know, um, try it and beg for forgiveness uh, for some companies. Um, but, uh, you know, cities were not necessarily prepared because nobody were, was prepared for this. However, um, I think we knew that uh, dockless pedal bike share was coming, and it did come, but it quickly went away because the scooter boom happened. So we were partially expecting it, but in a different form factor. Yeah. So, Mark, you, it sounds like you got a little bit of a head up that they were coming. We to did. Um and like, so the mayor was at U.S. Conference of Mayors. Like, we had been doing some work on it, but I didn't know this was on the mayor's radar. And the mayor brings me in the office, and he's like, listen, like, these things are coming. There's nothing we can really do about them. Um, so let's, one, figure out, like, how we can, like, see how they work and just, just throw it out there as a pilot. Um, but, two, do it in a way that 
causes us as little drama as possible, um, but also makes it easier for the company. So it was like to see the mode as well, but it was also kind of a test case of like, can we as government facilitate something quickly and do it in a way that is good for our citizenry? So um, we did get heads up from all the companies. They all reached out to us ahead of time to say, hey, you know, we're interested in coming to Detroit. You know, what are you guys thinking? Um, what we did was we kind of tried to thread a needle. Like if you looked at the, the two sort of polar opposites of how people looked at in the spectrum, like some cities basically just said like, you know, do whatever you want, right? Put as many scooters as you want on the street. Like this is gonna be the wild west out here. And then other cities took like the completely opposite stance of saying like over, you know, our dead bodies for lack of a better term, like okay. you are not putting scooters on our streets. Um, we tried to thread a needle where we said, like, you know what, we want to we want to see this happen. We want to sort of see and understand, like, uh, does this do people use them? You know, how do they use them? What are the challenges? But we also wanted to do it in a way where we did have some ability to guide. So what we did was we found a little piece of code that um, referred to blocking the right of way, and we interpreted that code for scooters um, and basically said these are these are our our rules. Um, and if you abide by them, you can run a scooter service in, in Detroit. Um, and so we told the companies, you know, this is how we we're going to do it. Like, no, no permit processes, you know, just follow the rules and you guys will be good. If you don't, I'll take your scooters and throw them in the river. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and it worked pretty well. And, you know, because of that, we probably, we had a really good working relationship with them. It wasn't contentious. Um, it wasn't, you know, because we were, we were essentially making it easier for them and us. Um, you know, they weren't pushing too hard. They weren't sort of going around our backs to try and like preempt any of our rules. Like it, it just worked out pretty well for us. Mm -hmm. And Annie, uh, you know, just as Mark's talking about, they had to set up some rules. The SAE is what, setting some sort of regulations for scooters or what you call micro-mobility. Yeah, so we actually just launched, uh, released our very first um, standard on micro-mobility. So we're focusing on powered micro-mobility vehicles. So the, we're excluding the um, solely human-powered uh, vehicles such as uh, pedal bikes. And uh, we set the terminology for these power micromobility vehicles. It's J3194. Um, it essentially, it divides up uh, the types of micromobility vehicles into six uh, categories. And uh, the scooters, for example, we actually divide them into two different categories, whether it has a seat or it's standing. So the birds and the limes that we see would be a powered um, standing scooter or electric standing scooter. And we also have different ways of classifying um, different types or different uh, speeds and widths, um, weight, things like that. I'm intrigued that the SAE feels compelled to, to set up these kinds of, uh, they're not regulations, it's what, standards is yes. maybe the right term? Because the SAE sets standards for the oil that you put in the crankcase of your engine. It sets standards for your electric vehicle charging ports and all that. Why did you or the SAE decide it has to write up uh, these standards for these micro-mobility devices? Right. Um, so we get that comment frequently. <laughs> and SAE, uh, we're a mobility engineering standards developing organization. And um, we see micro-mobility as one of those modes, one of the enablers of mobility. So it made sense for us. And um, we can apply so much of the knowledge that we have from automotive and aerospace engineering to micro-mobility as well. And there was definitely an industry need for some sort of um, high-level taxonomy to begin with. So we took, um, you know, we took it upon us to um, do that. Yeah, I mean, if you look, sorry, uh, yeah. 
we are good at regulating the public right of way, right? Like that is what we we do well as a city. We don't ever get into how do we regulate, you know, cars are out there, like other people have evaluated those safety. And scooters is sort of one of those things, right? Where like, I have no idea like how to evaluate like the safety of like that scooter, this scooter versus that scooter. And that's where you sort of need outside organizations to say like, this is, this is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, because as Annie said, you know, those early scooters were real rickety, right? Um, particularly, you know, riding on Michigan Avenue on bricks, like you literally felt the thing was gonna fall apart uh, early on. Um, they've gotten much, much better, but to be able to have an outside organization saying like, this is what vehicles need to be to be, to be safe for folks um, is really important. So is that what your standards include is safety and We will and the like? work on safety. So we did our very first step on the taxonomy and classification, and then our next steps probably include like top speed testing, because at this point, it's whatever you claim, right? Um, and things like brakes, and I would imagine that um, the shared fleet model uh, scooters would have different types of standards than those that are for personally owned, yeah. There's been problems with these scooters. There's as popular as they've become, there's also a popular backlash against them. What are some of the problems that you've encountered, Mark? Well, let's also level set by like, there's challenges with all modes of transportation, right? Like, um, you know, we have 40,000 people in this country that get killed by a car. Uh, we have cars all over the place with parking and, and congestion. Um, so, I mean, whenever change happens, like, Sometimes not everyone is always for change, so we'll just start start with that mm -hmm. that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know we we haven't had the, the number of challenges that other cities have had, probably for for a variety of different reasons. But um, whether it's sort of people riding 50 miles an hour on a crowded sidewalk, um, to people leaving scooters in a way that that blocks, particularly for folks that have mobility challenges, whether they're in a wheelchair or have a, have a walker. Um, to just you know not you know doing dumb stuff right, which is not something you can you can control, and I think that's that's a challenge we have with all modes of transportation is people just doing dumb things. Um, but yeah, so I mean I think and that's that's part of again like this was not an industry that said like let's build a scooter that can monitor whether they're riding on a sidewalk or a street that can sort of get to the centimeter of a GPS like which is really what a lot of cities, I mean, it would be great if everyone, if we had all that, that ability, um, but that's, that's kind of the level, and that's kind of where the push is from a lot of these companies now, is to sort of do solutions that help them with government relations, because these companies have like a number of different arms under them, and government relations is such a huge piece of them, and to sort of think about how you launch a, you know, whether national or global service, and having to go to every single city across the world to say like this is our this is our company like the, how do we sort of work within your rules it's a crazy amount so um, the companies have all seen that like having the safest unit and having the 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 ability to um, address some of these challenges is super important for them and that's kind of where a lot of the innovation is coming out of. Mm -hmm. Annie, what kind of problems have you seen with the scooters? Um, I think it really depends on um, at, if you're, you know, looking at it in the perspective of a user, rider, or as a city uh, regulating, or as an operator. Um, as a rider, I, I think uh, we still lack clarity on where you're supposed to ride these things. Um, say for in Washington D.C., it varies depending on you're in the central business district or outside of it. And then I say, come to Detroit. Where am I supposed to ride it here? I actually asked Mark earlier. Um, so. The 
these, it's very unclear. Um, also, when you're riding, how are you supposed to turn left if you're riding with the cars? It's very um, difficult, um, not only for the travelers on the scooters, but also the drivers who are sharing the road with these very slow um, scooters, right? So I think um, more clarity on that is very necessary. Um, also for uh, the regulators and operator side, I think there has been a lot of challenges on uh, the data side. Um, these scooters, and just like any shared uh, mobility service, generate a lot of data. Um, we're talking about data that is generated by the trips, right? So it can often have the origin destination along with timestamps, and that could contain some privacy, like private um, information, personally identifiable information. But it's also very valuable for a city um, to understand how the scooters are being used. So um, I think that try, trying to find that fine balance on how to make use of this data, but actually um, protect the privacy concerns and make it more efficient uh, to actually use the data um, is a challenge that you know still needs to be met. That, that's a great point. Mark, do you guys get access to data from these scooters? Yeah, we do. Um, we we've have not requested sort of that granularity of data um, because of the, the privacy concerns we have. But we, you know, what, what about your cell phone? Your cell phone knows where you're going and all these does. And stops and, and they're collecting it already. We as government need to have, you know, have a high standard of the data that we collect and how we protect it and how we use it. Um, and so right now we're sort of working through a lot of those policies so that, you know, we can get to a point where we can have that. But we don't, because again, like we've never had that level of data. So we haven't had policies to, uh, to be able to match the level of data that we're getting. So that's what we're, we're being very careful on sort of how we sort of make sure that we have all these things in place so that we can be able to sort of accept that level of data, protect it, and make sure that we're protecting um, the, the privacy of our, of our citizens. It's really important. Can cities make money off these? Do, do, do they pay you a fee to, to be there, or so, how does it work? Some cities have. We haven't instituted a fee to this point. Um, just from our standpoint, um, you know, what we've looked into is one is it's just, it's, you know, it's it's a barrier for businesses, number one. Um, but number two, it's it's also just, uh, it's just another thing for us to do, right? And our staff has a lot of other stuff to do with regards to permitting. And, and so for the dollars that, you know, we felt like we were going to bring in, like to this point, like we just haven't seen an ROI on that dollar versus like having two people having to process permits and the payments and just sort of all the, all the things that come to take like $35,000 in from a company is just like not, has not sort of been at the sort of pro top of our priority list. All right. We've talked about some of the problems. What are the benefits, Annie? What, what, why? What are the good things about the scooters? I think it really fills that um, first or last or the only mile of transportation that um, uh, is a need that hasn't been met in North America probably for decades since the car came, right? Um, so it, it's really an urban solution in most part or maybe um, in the suburb to get you from that bus stop to your home. Um, and it really brings that, it really um, transforms mobility into a holistic um, view of multimodal transportation, uh, one that uh, was very hard to achieve um, with the existing modes. Mm -hmm. Mark, can you measure decreases in congestion? Can you measure, you know, an increase in pedestrian traffic or things like that? What, what are some of the benefits you're seeing in the city? So, um, 
you could. I mean, it might be a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of other factors that go into things like that. So, um, I mean, I think when they first launched, you know, we saw lots of different people trying them out and using them. Um, you know, I think that the sort of newness has ridden, can have come off for a lot of people. So, um, you know, downtown we've seen much less usage than we saw last year. Um, what we have seen particularly is a lot of folks from the suburbs coming in uh, on weekends to use scooters mm -hmm. because this is like a, uh, right now a value prop for downtown Detroit of like you can use a scooter, like you can't get scooters in the suburbs. It's something you can only use there. Um, but to, to build on Annie's, you know, we have seen a lot of folks, you know, outside of downtown um, begin to say like, this is something that I can add to my trip to on transit to get where I need to go. Um, to the point of um, over the summer, one of the companies just pulled, didn't, didn't deploy any scooters during a day. And they did that because, you know, they, you know, were missing something like four or five percent of their fleet um, and wanted to figure out where they were and, and, you know, to go and just talk to people and just, you know, understand why. And, you know, they had obviously thought that, like, you know, they were either damaged and left or, you know, people were stealing them or whatever. But it wasn't the case. Basically, people were taking, you know, were, were at the end of the night taking the scooter to their house, charging them and bringing it back in the morning so that they knew that there would be a scooter there. You know, because if you look at, you know, <laughs> Detroit, it's 139 square miles, um, you know, and, and outside of downtown is about 130 square miles. And there might be a scooter here today at 7 a.m., but, you know, they might not put it there again at 7 a.m. And that reliability, you know, can, you know, if you're basically saying, I'm going to rely on this mode to help me get to work it's not there in the morning and then I'm an hour late for my job and then they you know, dock my pay or, or fire me from my job because I'm, I'm relying on a company to hopefully put a scooter there tomorrow. Um, so that's the piece we're really interested in exploring um, is understanding like how, you know, we feel like this can help people. Um, we know there needs to be a sense of reliability. How, how do we sort of create that, that sense of reliability and how do we understand what is the actual impact that this can have on people, particularly on people's ability to keep a job? Because a lot of folks um, in Detroit, you know, struggle with transportation. You know, I won't go into sort of the long spiel about the the challenges that have been laid historically here. Um, but um, you know, if this can be a way to sort of add on with transit, add on with an Uber and Lyft to say like it can help people keep their job, um, that's an important thing. And that's so that's really what we are. Very, most interested in exploring on this this piece moving forward is saying like how can this be a piece of people's overall solutions? Yeah, no, very interesting. Annie, one of the things I asked about uh, traffic congestion and the like is I heard that at South by Southwest, the big music festival in Austin, Texas, every year, that they introduced a number of scooters and saw a noticeable decrease in traffic congestion because the, the, the city gets jam-packed for that so festival. So I was there, it was like Scooter Palooza, like it was, <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> but, but I hear that uh, for cars and trucks and everything on the streets, they, they said that there was much better traffic flow. Yeah, because I'm sure like Uber and Lyft took a huge hit uh, that weekend of just the, because it was like, I mean, because all this, so many streets are closed down there for it and you've just got bikes and scooters and because they also had tons of e-bikes there, like, it was just so easy to get around. So I, I didn't even stay in downtown. I stayed out in the neighborhood and I took an e-bike, uh, jump e-bike the whole time around and then just like would take the bus. So I mean, I didn't even get in a car the whole time I was there um, because it just made it so, it was like this weird transit scooter, micro mobility bike paradise of just like <laughs> literally not needing anything to get around um, other than like uh, your phone. Mm -hmm. So do you think 
traffic congestion might be improved? I think that is a, an open question. I don't think there is enough data or research done to understand where these, where the demand is coming from. There were no scooters two, three years ago. So where are these trips coming from? Are they um, coming from walking trips or are they coming from, you know, single occupancy vehicles shifting over to micromobility? It's very unclear at this time. And when we look at the trip distribution, it's like 81% of um, trips made on scooters in DC, on e-bikes in DC are less than two miles. 91% mm -hmm. are scooters, right? So they're very, very short trips. So um, we can, you know, understand that most of them could actually be coming from walking trips. So that does that help traffic? Not necessarily, right? right. But as um, the vehicle design change, just um, I think it may help um, if the vehicles get more comfortable for longer rides, the battery range improves. Um, if you can start putting stuff, material load um, on the scooter instead of just yourself, maybe you can use it for more utilitarian um, purposes instead of just uh, social recreational use. Yeah, and I, and I think e-bikes are gonna be a big, big part of that as well. Um, that, you know, taking a scooter for eight miles is a bit much, but like hopping on an e-bike for eight miles is like, you're not doing any work and it's a, it's a breeze, right? I completely uh, agree. And, you know, you, you're starting to see, you know, we don't have the challenge of, uh, the the FedEx, Amazon, UPS just like stopping streets at this point. Um, but you know, you're starting to see FedEx and, and UPS and Amazon sort of start to exploring like electric cargo bikes to sort of like, you know, you can carry a lot of stuff on something like that. Um, you know, obviously sort of the, the infrastructure for bikes and scooters isn't there as it is for cars, right? And that's 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 one of the big big challenges to, to making this work. But um, you can start to see, like, and this isn't gonna happen tomorrow, right? Like this is a, you know, Amsterdam wasn't built in a day, and Copenhagen, well, you know, that was a 40 to 50 year transition. Um, but, you know, that as, as people sort of start to, to make these decisions and whether it's like challenge of parking, the challenge of traffic congestion to like this, I enjoy this, um, you know, people beginning to think through different decisions as more of these things come out and like, whether the next thing is like a floating skateboard or like you hop on a drone and you just like carries you for 10 miles. Um, it, it begins to say like, you know, there, there potentially are other solutions um, other than basically just saying you have a binary of like getting in a car or finding a way to take a transit. Yeah, we're, we're down to the very end here. Annie, uh, it's SAE International. I imagine the, the standards that you're writing could well be applied around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And we're working with uh, many of the operators who operate globally. Um, some of them are huge, right? Um, and they've been actively participating in our standards development, and they have all voiced that it is very important to have international standards because if you have competing regional standards, it defeats the purpose of standardization. And we uh, definitely agree with that. And um, from SA side, we are doing our best to harmonize with other um, standards developing organizations to make it easier for everybody. Real good. With that, we're, we are going to have to wrap it up. Very interesting. Just to see how these scooters have come out of nowhere and become so popular all over the place. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM.
prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.